Good morning. Part two, no room. Uh, feel free, you can go online and can catch up if you want to do that during this season or be reminded. But today, I thought the topic was something that we all need to hear about, forgiveness. So the topic is real simple, no room for forgiveness. In this season of relationships and people gathering that you don't necessarily see from time to time, there will be a greater amount of stress, and there'll be a greater amount of joy, there'll be a greater amount of food, and on and on and on. So I'm just thinking, in this season, maybe there's somebody we need to forgive in our life, in our circles of influence. Maybe there's somebody in our family that we've held a grudge, we've had resentment, we've been bitter, it's been toxic, it's hurt us. So let's pray together. Father, this morning, I pray that we would receive your truth from your word because you're a great and mighty God. And I thank you for the gospel, and I praise you that it has changed our lives if we've come to Christ. And I pray that this morning, above all things, we would make room for Jesus in all things, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to open this a little different because we, we have relationships, we We've spent a lot of time about the perfect Christmas card, the perfect tree, the perfect sweater. <laughs> sweater, that's kind of a funny concept, Montgomery. You thought about that lately? I'm looking at all my Christmas stuff and all these reds that I like to wear, and this is like the coolest thing I could find that I wouldn't roast up here today. Sweaters, they're like, who wants a goofy Christmas sweater today? It's, it's, I think it's going to be balmy 78, and, and you moved here, yeah, whatever. All right, I want you to look at this first one. Here's one that you should give somebody you don't like. I'm just, I want to be an encouragement to you today, and if there's somebody on your Christmas list, write this down. Take a photo of it, you know. I want them to have the album Christmas with Colonel Sanders. I mean, that would just totally make their day. I mean, think about that. That's for people you don't like. Well, I don't want to stop there. Here's my favorite, the yodeling pickle. Yeah, everybody needs one. I mean, if you get this, just remember, they don't like you, okay? I, I, when, I, when I sent this idea to Jeff, Jeff sent back, he goes, Yoli Pickle, what? All right, well, these are people you don't like. And here, here's your favorite, jelly beans, bacon flavor. That, I, I mean, I like bacon, but bacon jelly beans is just gross. And somebody went, oh, they make those. Okay, well, don't give those to me, okay? Isn't that kind of a fun way? These are gifts that you don't give. These are gifts that you do give to people you don't like. So if you get re-gifted one of these, you got the shaft. Okay, all right, here we go. Well, this morning, I'm thinking about there's a gift that Jesus wants to give. And it's the gift of grace and peace. And it's the gift of forgiveness. And I think it goes to horizontal relationships. Jesus says, that's the gift I want you to give to one another. I want you to give great grace this season because I've given grace. I want you to give forgiveness even when it's not deserved. Because you got grace when you didn't deserve it. If you'll go to the scriptures with me this morning and turn over to John, Gospel of John, chapter 13. I've studied and studied this section over and over, read it over and over. I, I, love, I love John. John is my favorite gospel. It's not a Christmas text, but I, but I think it will make the, the platform for making room for Jesus in relationships and forgiveness we find here in 13.1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. 
It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and then he had to come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water into a basin, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Now, I'm going to get into all these verses here, or not all of them, but at least probably 1 through 17 or sections of it. And what we know from history, that there was a Passover time. There was a time for the slain of the lamb in the, across the, the doorpost that the death angel would pass over. They say that they probably slayed about 256,000 lambs to make sacrifice to the Lord at Passover. And then the family, and it would serve like maybe up to 10 people or so, and then they would uh, take the, uh, the lamb home and they would roast it and have a meal or whatever. It was kind of interesting. But they, they were familiar, the Jews of this time, they were familiar with the Passover meal. It was a, a sacred event. What they didn't know was they were sitting with the lamb of the ultimate Passover, the Lord Jesus. He sat here at the table with his friends, with the disciples, and and they were there just to celebrate. The scripture says that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Man, what, what a God. Earlier in that verse, he said, my hour, my time has come. We said last weekend, Galatians 4.4, at just the right time, Christ came. Many times in scripture, if you read through the gospels, you'll see it's not my time. Jesus was confronted several times. I'll I remember one time with Mary, the mother of Jesus, she suggested that Jesus do something. And then he turned to his mother and said, woman, with respect, he didn't say woman, woman, my hour has not yet come. And then we go to chapter 7 and 8 there in the Gospels, and Jesus in Jerusalem at the temple, and the people are coming, and they're, they're going to grab, they want to take Jesus, and, but they can't have Jesus yet because his hour had not come. And then later he says, my hour has not come that the Son of Man might be glorified, that God might do his great work. So over and over we see this thing, hour, the time. There's so many chapters in the scripture that are devoted to the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. If you just read gospel narratives, you, you'll see that for yourself. If I had time, I'd break them down. There's like 85 of 89 chapters that focus on the last three and a half years of the life of Jesus. There's 579 separate verses on four, all four Gospels that zero in on the hour and the moment and the time. It's just amazing that God would get so detailed and specific about the time. So then when you read Galatians at just the right time, you see, they've been saying, my hour, my hour has not yet come. That's Jesus. And then the, the time is right. It's time for the incarnation. It's Christmas. Graham Scroge, a great biblical scholar, said this, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. You just cut the scripture and it bleeds. The Old Testament, it bleeds through sacrifice. You cut the New Testament, it bleeds with the precious atoning blood of Jesus Christ. But the scripture bleeds. A lot of times we read it and we make it sterile, but it wasn't. But what's the result of sacrifice? Good Friday, you know, we call it Good Friday. It's like, man, what's so good about it? We, we could call it Great Friday. Because on Great Friday, God accomplishes that for which we cannot accomplish ourselves. He gives forgiveness and redemption. So this whole forgiveness concept, 
is God-initiated, God-ordained. God brings about forgiveness. And I know you're sitting there going, well, man, I, I don't want to forgive. Well, if, if you really want to get forgiveness this season, you've got to make the cross a priority in your life, and you've got to look at how God has forgiven you much, and then you begin to forgive. But when you forget to look at the cross and you forget to look at what God has done for you and when you forget to look at how Christ has forgiven you, your many sins, and how God has called you from darkness to light, you don't forgive. But when you look at the cross, you begin to go, man, sin is great. No. My sin is great. Do you feel that way about your sin this morning? You're like, well, I was feeling pretty good about my sin. Did you start talking about it? Well, okay. So Jesus, he gathers these disciples around the table. It's kind of like the coach. The coach is having the pep talk. He's gathering the team around him. And he's got things that he wants to say to him. He gathers the soldiers before they hit the field. Matter of fact, uh, do I have verse 4? I, I think chapter 13, verse 4. Is it going to come up? So the scripture says, so he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus got up. I want you to think about something with me that a lot of times we forget at Christmas. We read this narrative and we go, oh yeah, Jesus get up and wash his feet. That's right. But Jesus died, ascended into heaven, and the Bible said that he did what? He sat down next to God, the Father. Years passed. Jesus gets up, and he comes to what? To earth. Incarnation. He, he comes for you and I. Jesus got up. He sat down. He got up. Here at the table, he's sitting down, and he gets up to wash the feet of a bunch of gnarly, I mean, disciples with dirty feet. I don't know about you. How many of you would love to be uh, to, be a, to give pedicures? Isn't that your ambition in life? You just want to work with people's feet. How many would sign up for that? Raise your hand. Didn't that sound like a great profession? You're saying, well, no, I don't, I don't like feet, man. Like feet are gross, feet are... And I know some of you go, well, my feet are so cute, Pastor Keith. That's debatable. Okay, all right, maybe you're in love. I don't know what it is, but it's not... All right, Let, let's look right here at the very top. The basin theology. I, I love this. I just found this term, basin. I've always talked about it. He, he, you know, he took the basin, filled it with water, and he washed the feet, people's, uh, the disciples' feet. But basin theology is when you see the needs of other people, and that's what Jesus was a master at. And then we desire to meet those needs, but then we help serve those needs. Let me, let me tell you who does this really well. Blake leading our student ministry, I, I went out with him last Sunday, and it, it, was, it was a great picture of this theology for me, basin theology. They've been serving this man, Mr. Green, for some time. He's He's been in a wheelchair, paralyzed for 38 years. And Tim and I and all the leaders and all this bunch of students went the other day, and they were giving him Christmas and loving. And he can hardly speak, but he wanted to speak. And, and I, I would strain in, and he would tell me things. And, and he just kept saying, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for those kids. I am so thankful for you students. I mean, he just said it over and over, and, and I understood. I was like, wow, this man is really grateful. And then he kept trying to tell me stuff, and I was really struggling. I look at Tim, and Tim was trying to interpret, and I was trying to interpret, and we were like, man, we were like struggling. And then he said the funniest thing to me. Look, look, look in the pack. Look in the pack. I got my story. I'm like, huh? And on the back of his wheelchair, he's got his testimony all typed out in multiple pages. That was so awesome. And I started reading it, and as I would read it to him, man, he, he, he'd preach in his own way. 
And I thought, man, that's based in theology. Our students went to meet the need of this precious man. He's been in this paralytic condition. And I thought, man, that's where I saw Jesus this Christmas. I read a story about Ground Zero after the great collapse of the towers. And it was interesting. It said this. It said there was an organization that this guy saw, and he said, I was very taken back by him. There was craziness and medical and first aid and food and debris cleanup and all this. And he said, I, I saw these, these bowls, these basins. And he said, in these basins, they had tubs of water and disinfected. And he said, and then I saw people that were there to serve the people of New York. They took the boots and the shoes off the work, workers, and they began to clean their feet and their boots because of the contamination of the zone. And I read that and I thought... That's a Jesus story. That's a John 13. In our, in our life, when we think about washing the feet of disciples, and we've read it so many times, we're inoculated against it sometimes. And I thought, man, that's what they did. Our students, when they went and they served Mr. Green and the girls and the guys of the day, it was, it was a beautiful picture of Jesus. I, I look here. It's another picture of Christ just uh, serving. And you're saying, well, so this passage is about feet and hospitality? I think it's a lot greater than that. I think it is about feed. I do think it's about hospitality. I, I think it, uh, but, but I think the greater thing is that Christ wants to wash our feet. You know, you've seen the, the picture of the Last Supper that Leonardo painted. But I messed you up last week in a little bit, little manger. Let me mess you up again. That's my job, okay? It was like all the disciples, when you see the picture, cheese, cheeseburger. That's not, they all, 12, 11, whatever, they all didn't sit with the camera on them. In those days, the, the tables were different. They, they, it's a called a triclinium, I think. It's a three-leg table, and they kind of sat around it. And when they had communion, we demonstrated it here one time, they were more down on the floor. They weren't at tables and chairs like we know today. They, they didn't do that. They were like reclining back at, at the table and there in that place, Jesus began to wash his feet. I mean, he just, it, it was a beautiful thing. And humility, I read this, I love it. It says, humility is really simply about not thinking about yourself at all. It's not thinking less about you. It's just not even caring about you. It's not even thinking about you. It's just thinking about Jesus. And, and here in, in this scene of Scripture, the Lord gives them, uh, let, let's, let's read on here. I want you to see what he says. So he, he washes the feet. In verse 6, And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now let me, let me stop there. Peter is always piping up. Peter's always putting his sandal in his mouth. You know what I'm saying? Peter had no problems with gab. Peter could talk with the best of them. Now I pick on Peter because I can identify with Peter, but, but I like Peter. And, and Peter's like, well, man, no, man, we can't do that. So look what he says. Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. We will, you will never wash my feet. Now, you're telling Jesus he's not going to wash your feet? But this is Peter, impetuous one. But look what he says. Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, all right then, just wash, don't just wash my hands and my head as well. Wash everything, not just my feet. I, I, I want a total bath, Jesus. He's like, Peter, you don't get it. Now, as you study this section of Scripture, 
there's probably some distrust in this room among people. There's probably distrust in this circle, even at some level. They, maybe they didn't like each other. Maybe they loved each other. I don't know. But here's what I know. Jesus had room for every one of those. He, he even had room for Judas, the one that he knew because he was sovereign king. He knew Judas would betray him. But he had, he had room. He had time. He had compassion for the one that would sell him out. I mean, it's just the amazing nature of Jesus. And I'm thinking this morning, you know, how free are you? You know, like, are you willing to... Look what he says here. He, he wants to take a bath. Now, I don't know about you. I want to set it up for you. In that day... He says, you don't need a need for a total bath. You just need to have your, hand, your, your feet washed. Well, let's, let's suppose that the disciples had already been cleaned, but anywhere that you walked in that day, you had open shoes, sandals, and there were dusty roads. So when they got there, their feet were nastified. That's a word I made up. They were just gross. And even the poorest servant many times didn't have to wash feet, and sometimes they did. And here he is, the Lord, and he chooses to humble himself before these guys and Pete and everybody, and he washes their feet. Now, there have been a lot of takeoff on this, and we have foot washing services, and I've been a part of that, and, and, and they're cool. And, 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 and can I just be honest? They're weird. I mean, so right now, I want y'all to bring the, the basins out from out back. Yeah, some of you are like, I'm leading right now. I mean, some of you don't want your feet exposed. And we say, praise God. And some of you are like, oh, they're going to wash my feet in church. Not today. All right. So we'll let you know. No, see, then you would miss the whole point. But here's what I learned. And looking back at the Greek on this, it's interesting. There's one word. It means to take a total bath, the entire body. But then there's another word when it talks about wash, when it talks about, it's nipto, and what it means is, is to wash a portion of your body. Here, here's what, I want you to get the spiritual truth. If we have been washed in the blood of Jesus, if Jesus has brushed his blood over us, we are clean, and the church said, that's good news. But we're in need of a and we come to Christ. Let me ask you this. Do we come to Christ every day, every weekend that we pray the sinner's prayer, we receive Christ? Do we have to pray to get saved over and over and over, or is it a one-time deal? Yeah, Christ comes, and he seals, and he secures, and we have union, we have connection, relationship with him. But we walk through this world. Look at the picture of feet. The feet were dusty, dirty, they need to partially be washed. They need to be clean. We need to be clean daily, hourly, sometimes moment by moment. It's called the confession of sin. And it restores not union. If you're in Christ, you're united with Jesus, eternal, secure in the blood and the righteousness of Christ. Is that great news? That's salvation, deliverance. But there's a need to be restored, to have fellowship and the fellowship comes through our continual daily confession of sin keeping short accounts with god lord i am a sinner and i humble myself and i call upon jesus to come and invade my heart and life save me redeem me change me that's the prayer of salvation that, that's good we, we need that we need to we, we're not born christians we have to come to christ 
the Holy Spirit draws us. It's beautiful theology. But here there's, there's this communion with him, but then we, we begin to follow him and we begin to have fellowship because sin builds up a barrier. So the dust on the feet, I want you to see that dust, that dirt where Jesus is washing feet, that's just contaminated. How many of you would agree? Walking through this world, you get contaminated. How many would agree with that? Yeah. Man, visually, uh, what we hear, what we see, what we speak, what we do, what gets done to us. There's all kind of contamination. It's called sin. We're in a de depraved, fallen world. And Christ says, but I want to give you fellowship. I want to give you rich fellowship with me. And so, like, like here with, uh, with Judas, Judas is a phony. Judas is, Judas is a hypocrite, the best I can tell reading Scripture. He's not the real deal. Then these other guys... They know God. They're real, but there's one. He's like, oh, wash my feet. But you see, you can go around confessing your sin, but you've got to have that initial bath. And that bath comes through relationship with Christ when you ask Christ to wash over your heart, to brush over your heart with his blood, to cover you with his blood, and robe you in his righteousness. That's salvation. It's, it's just a beautiful picture of it. I read a story about Jesse James. Some of you are, oh, good, I like Jesse James, I like Westerners. Well, that tells me more about you than you know. You know, he was shooting people, he was doing bank robberies, he killed people. But I found something I, I never knew. James, Jesse James one day killed two people, and he joined the church choir that very day. He had this thing I read about that he liked to go to church. Now, I, I find it it's kind of weird, but he did it. So he would kill people, he would rob banks, he would do sinful deeds, and then he would go join the church, sing in the choir, whatever. So as much as he was occupied with sin and with darkness, then he wanted to go and be in the house of God. Well, I kind of find it like Judas. I mean, Judas is like, man, he's wanting to hang around Jesus, but really in his heart, he's going to sell Jesus out because he really doesn't care about Jesus. And so the whole thing is we've got to be genuine. We've got to be real. I want you to look at this chapter 13, verses 12 and 15. It's going to come up on the screen for you. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again. He said, and he asked, do you understand what I'm doing? And they went, not really. You call me teacher and Lord, you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord, teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So a lot of people come out of here and they go, okay, that's it. We just got to start washing feet. And, and, and I guess practically we could do that and that'd be fine. But there's so much more here that's the, the depth of what Jesus is saying about forgiveness and, and loving people and, and serving people in humility and, and getting it right before him. And, and Lord, you be my boss. You be my leader, Jesus. You be the chief. You be the master. Lord, you, you take over. But I like what it says. It says, blessed are you if you do this in some generation, in, in some uh, translations. But then others, it would go, but happy are you if you do this. Not if you get intellectually stimulated or you have some wisdom or knowledge, Jesus is like, no, no, if, if you do it. See, th there's confusion in the church sometimes that we think, if I just go to Bible study, I'm going to be a good Christian. That's not true. Bible study, I'm an advocate for Bible study. I love Bible study. Bible study is necessary for believers. But Bible study in itself never makes you more like Christ, never makes you holy. It takes applying the scriptures as God speaks to your heart and putting it into practice. In this whole John 13, Jesus is like, now I want you to go do these things. Back to the story, our, our students, man, when they were just putting feet to their faith, 
of loving this one that maybe can't love them back. And it, it was powerful. And as you serve people this Christmas season that are needy and neglected and disconnected, but not even them, people that are in your own family that are hurting, that are wounded, that have a need of grace, when you serve them, you exalt Christ. You wash their feet. It, it, it's beautiful. Colossians 3.13. Look at this. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I've already told you. I've been forgiven a lot. How about you? <laughs> All right, uh, uh, let's stand up and give testimony about what you've been forgiven of. No, no, I wouldn't do that to you. That, that, wouldn't that be awkward? Like, that'd be a great way if nobody come back next week. But we do a lot, don't we? We need to be forgiven. I, I love this passage. It's just forgive. Make... Here it is, write it in your notes today. Make allowances for other people's faults. See, I'm real good at making allowances for my sin and my fault. How about you? But somebody else? Give them grace? I don't think so. I think this story talks about that. Jesus is trying to get them on the same page and being humble and serving and loving. I'm like, Lord Jesus, that, that's what you're about. Let's fill in the middle of the page three truths about forgiveness. One, rejoice in Jesus' death. To release another's debt you can't forgive somebody on your own i don't think we have the power but through the death and the power of jesus we can release other people and not be bound up with bitterness and resentment and all kind of junk forgetful forgetfulness of what god has done for me makes it hard for me to forgive other people but when i look at what christ has done for me daily i see a great need to forgive others because i've sinned in a big way myself so God, show me how to forgive others. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, they'll come up on the screen. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful section here. It says, you were dead. Circle that in your Bible. Turn, turn to this section in your Bible. If you have your Bible, you have your uh, uh, device with you, you have your, you know, whatever, you got your tablet out there. You were dead. Circle it. You were dead. No dominion. Because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you what? Alive. Circle the word alive. Dead. Alive. I, I love that. He wants to make us alive in him with Christ. For he forgave some of our sins. All. Circle the word all. All those sins. I don't know about you, man. I need all my sins covered. So forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he did what? He disarmed it. Man, when you disarm something, it has no effect. It has no power. It's like, okay, we have a security system here at the church. And, and, and if you're the last one or the first one in, you have, to, you have to disarm it. If you don't, these sirens go off and phone calls come and deputies come with pistols pulled it's it's awesome you know we've had all that done on us over the years i mean it's it's fun all right the spiritual just <laughs> hey, that's pretty good i really know who's in charge it's you okay disarm the spiritual rulers and authorities he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross this section that cross that hangs out there in the foyer when you come in on the passover wall it was all about this section of scripture right here Lord, forgiveness, I need it. Tim Keller says, the more you rejoice in your forgiveness, the quicker it is to forgive others. The more you rejoice in your forgiveness, the quicker it is for you to forgive others. So this morning, you're one. Man, it's kind of like in this Jesus story with washing the feet. It, it wasn't too convicting. But now you're talking about forgiveness, and I got some people I need to go forgive. Ah, good, good. I'm getting there. Benefit of forgiving others. It breaks hard hearts. 
It gets God's order. It takes away envy and bitterness. Just forgiveness is God's order. It's grace. It's blessing. And then look at the third. So resolve that you may never get an apology. I want you to resolve that. Some people are never going to apologize to you. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you just got to resolve in your heart, they might not, but I have a responsibility as a child of God to forgive them because I've been forgiven much. So when somebody doesn't ask you for an apology, you still, God starts with the forgiveness. God forgives us in Christ our many sins. We forgive others. But you're saying, but they didn't say they were sorry. They didn't apologize. I'm sorry. I wish they would. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But it starts with him. And then the third truth is, receive the blessing when you forgive others. Receive the peace of Christ to flood your soul this morning. When you walk in the forgiveness of God, but when you walk in forgiveness with other people and short accounts with God and have restored fellowship, 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, we are just free. And this morning, I'm just saying, man, Christmas season, let's be free, people. Let's be free, church. Forgiveness. You're saying, but I don't know about forgiveness. I want to call to mind certain heartaches and hurts, and I want to recall the past, and I want to punish people that have hurt me. (sighs) You could, but you're not going to be free. Ephesians 4.32, listen to this verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. There's that theme, man. It's all from the Father. Father, you are good. Father, you are true. God, you are forgiveness. Father, forgiveness initiates from the kingdom, from the throne of heaven. God, i got to forgive. So this morning, I don't know, you're saying, well, I man, I didn't expect to hear a forgiveness message. I'm, you know, I forgive everybody but these three people. You know, they're kind of a short list, and, you know, they're kind of a jerk. They deserve it. I mean, if we're honest, how many of you feel like some people deserve not to be forgiven? Don't, don't raise your hand, okay? Don't, don't raise your hand. Jesus says they do because I forgive you. You know when we forgive? We forgive because God forgave us. And because God commands it, not because I feel like it. Sometimes I have to choose by an act of my will to forgive somebody else. Because I certainly want to be forgiven. How about you? You do. So you ponder, you think about the forgiveness of God, how he wipes away. And it, do, it doesn't matter what all they've done, you just forgive. And, and when you forgive, the healing begins. The healing of your emotions, your heart, your physical health, your relationships, your spiritual vitality get stronger when you forgive. And when you walk and harbor unforgiveness, you're not very spiritually healthy. And one of my roles as pastor is to try to ensure that you would be spiritually, you wouldn't go to your doctor and go, doc, you know, can you treat like most of the things wrong with me, but just leave a couple things hanging around. Because I I just kinda wanna hold on to that. You're like, I don't think so. Like right now, I've I've got plantar fasciitis and and a bone spur in my left heel. I've, I've been battling severe pain since July. This week, I went to the doctor, and I had lots of needles put in my heel. In Jesus' name, it was awesome. And I got worse. Oh, yes. Her- terrific. I'm soaking my foot. Like, when this service is over this afternoon, I'm like, I can't wait to go soak it. But it's getting better. And I, and I didn't go, you know, doctor, I just, I like this pain. I just want to, I just want to nurse it. I just want to die with this pain in my heel. I don't think so. I want to get rid of it. You see, you're saying, Keith, that is ridiculous. Well, that's how it is to not forgive somebody. It just makes us not very healthy. And Jesus says, I want to make you whole. Anyway, I think, I think you're getting a story. I'm getting it. 
forgiveness honors God. There's 75 pictures of forgiveness. Let me just share, share this with you. Here's some. There's 75 stories, different things, illustrations, how Jesus says. He says, to forgive is turn the key, open the cell door, let the prisoner free. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and to declare the person not guilty. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. To forgive, I love this, is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so it can never be put together again. To forgive is to be like God. I want you to hear this thought as I try to wrap up. You'll never be more like God than when you forgive other people. You'll never be like Jesus more than when you forgive like Jesus. And I know right now you're going, wow, I can't wait to use this message this week. I got a jerk at work. I need to forgive. I got somebody in my neighborhood. I got somebody on my ball team. I got a classmate. Man, they deserve condemnation in it. Oh, I need to forgive them in Jesus. That's right. We're like Christ when we do that. I want you to write down Proverbs 19:11. A man's foolishness is not to forgive. It is folly. It's just not wise not to forgive. The message of Christ is to forgive, to walk in grace. But I, I want to share with you this. In this story, Jesus wraps his divinity up in the towel of humanity. Divinity, God, is wrapped up in the towel of washing the feet of the disciples. It was a rich picture of grace. At the very bottom, when Jesus starts something, he completes the towel, the task. Earlier, it says Jesus took their feet, the basin in the water, he washed their feet, and he dried them. Jesus didn't just go, hey, let it drip, guys. You're on your own. He dried them. And I've never seen this principle to this week that when Jesus starts something, he completes it. He who began a good work in me will perfect it, will complete it against the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you believe that? Jesus completes that. Oh, she's raising her hand. Amen. Jesus completes that which he starts. I'll put it to you this way. Sometimes we get just crazy, but God wants us to forgive. I want to close with a kid's story as the worship team comes. It's one of my favorite stories over the years. I don't believe I've read this to Ramsey yet, but I need to. I've probably read it the last 30-something years, The Velveteen Rabbit. Did you ever read The Velveteen Rabbit? The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald and patches, kind of like PK. No, it doesn't say that. And he showed the seams underneath, and most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bed necklaces. He was wise, for he had been a long succession of mechanical toys to arrive, to boast and swagger, and by and by break their mainsprings and pass away. And he knew that they were only toys, and he would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced like the skin horse understand what it's all about the rabbit asked what is real when they were late when he was lying side by side near the nursery fender before nana came to tidy up the room does it mean having things that buzz inside you and stick out the handle is that real real isn't how you are made said the skin horse it's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really, really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit to skin horse. 
Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said skin horse. You become, it takes a long time, and that's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time that you are real, most of your hair has been lobbed off. Your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and you're just very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except the people who don't understand. Let me say that again. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to the people who don't understand. You know what God's saying today? I just want you to be real. Genuine, authentic, and broken. And let me cleanse you. Let me wash you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's the gospel today. Jesus just wants to make us right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this gospel narrative from John 13, the upper room discourse. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and for his humility and his servanthood to those that he loved deeply as he loves us deeply. I thank you that you invite us to get a total bath, Lord Jesus, to be washed in your blood. But I'm glad that you go on to say, but your feet need washing. You need to confess your sins. Your fellowship is broken. I want to restore fellowship with you. So this morning, would you just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life today. I admit that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me, for I know that Jesus died and rose for me. He shed his blood for me. Lord, I turn to you today as my Savior. I want to follow you as my Lord. I give you my heart today, Lord Jesus. Change me now and make me new. In Jesus' name, with all heads still bowed, did anybody pray that great prayer of surrender of salvation? Would you just raise your hand, making a declaration to the king today? Did anybody pray a prayer of salvation? Okay. Well, that's our prayer today. Right now, we're going to have a great song. You're here. He is here. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. The service is not quite over. Let's sing and worship. I'll be in the back of the room if you want to have prayer. Kind of an honor to pray with you. Let's worship. Let's hold dear to Jesus.